Well, so we come this morning to our seventh and final lesson in this series, How to Really Love One Another. Our end objective has been to sharpen our relationship skills to the point that what the Apostle Paul said of the church in Thessalonica could also be said of Springville Naz, and that is your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. As we've done each Sunday morning during this series, let's begin today's lesson with the key underlying principle that's the foundation to our current series of lessons on this life purpose of fellowship. And that is, when you come into a personal relationship with Christ, you also come into a personal relationship with other Christians. Belonging to a local body or family of believers is as much a part of being a Christian as belonging to Christ Himself. God desires every Christ follower to be a functioning part of His church, partnering with others in an irresistible community where people discover and develop a life-changing relationship with Christ. How to really love one another. As we've been working our way through some key one another commands in the New Testament, we've taken a closer look at what it means to be members of one another, to be devoted to one another, to encourage one another, to submit to one another, to forgive one another, and to accept one another. This morning in a lesson I've entitled, How to Speak the Truth in Love, we're going to zero in on yet one more one another command. It's found in today's text in Colossians 3 and verse 16. So hopefully you have your Bible open there. Look at it with me. Colossians 3, verse 16. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. I don't want you to miss that phrase, admonish one another. That's the focus of today's lesson. This English word admonish comes from the Greek word nuthateo. It comes from two Greek words, nous, mind, plus tithemi, to put. So when you put it together, it means literally to put into mind. It carries with it the thought of speaking a word of instruction, counsel, or even rebuke to someone. Hence the translation to admonish or to give admonition. Now, I think it's important for us to understand up front that admonishing one another has two dimensions to it. The first is corrective in nature. That is to reprove or chasten somebody for a present sin or error in his or her life. And then second, there is also a preventive part of this word. It means to warn or to caution someone against potential sin or error in his or her life. And the point is that if we are really, truly loving one another, we will be, in fact, admonishing one another. We'll be caring enough to confront each other. Part of loving one another is holding each other accountable to a high standard, the standard that God has given us in His Word. 
Or as the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, in our relationships with others in the church, we will, in fact, be speaking the truth in love. How to speak the truth in love. This morning, let's take an in-depth look at what the Bible has to teach us about admonishing one another. Now rather than focusing on just one single passage of Scripture about admonishing one another, I thought it would be best this morning if we would look at all 11 different places in the New Testament where in fact this Greek word is used. But before we do that, let's stop right here and let's ask God to speak clearly to us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, once again, You are the Master Teacher. We are Your disciples. We sit at Your feet that You would teach us, Lord Jesus, how to become more like You. So open our eyes this morning that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would understand. Most of all, open our hearts that we would receive the seed of truth that You want to plant there today, that it would grow and flourish and produce fruit in our lives. Teach us, O Lord, how to really love one another. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now once again, this Greek word translated admonish or admonition is used only 11 times in the New Testament. So let's just work our way through these Scriptures together and see what we can discover about how to speak the truth in love. The first one we find as we're working our way through the New Testament is in Acts 20 and verse 31. The Apostle Paul is giving his farewell address to the elders of the church in Ephesus and he says to them, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Romans 15 verse 14. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Paul's just confronted the believers in Corinth for their disunity and disdivision within the church, and he reminds them, I'm not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. The Apostle Paul has just written about Israel's history, how they were disciplined over and over and over again because of the rebellion and disobedience. And he writes, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Ephesians 6, verse 4. The context here is that Paul's been writing about family relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children. And here's what he says to parents, specifically fathers. Fathers, provoke not your children, but nourish them in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 1, verse 28. The Apostle Paul is summarizing the core value or the purpose of his entire ministry. Let's read this one out loud together. Would you read it with me? 
So we continue to preach Christ to each person, using all wisdom to admonish and to teach everyone in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature person in Christ. Colossians 3, verse 16. This is the one we looked up a little earlier. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. Paul's encouraging his readers to hold church leaders, pastors in high esteem. And he says, Respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. A couple of verses later, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. In his final instructions to the church in Thessalonica, Paul is giving a wholesale list of instructions, and he includes this. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 15, right after Paul's given advice on how to deal with somebody who's disobedient to God's Word. He says, Do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And finally, Titus 3 and verse 10, Here's the Apostle Paul's counsel on how to deal with divisive or contentious people within the church. He says, After a first and second admonition, have nothing more to do with anyone who causes divisions. Well, that's literally a look at every time that this word admonish or admonition appears in the New Testament, which leads us then to draw some conclusions. How are these verses we just read relevant to Springville Church of the Nazarene right now today? What are some specific ways that we can apply this command to admonish one another to our lives, both individually and even congregationally. As we consider how to speak the truth in love, it seems to me that this instruction to admonish one another is mutual. Doesn't it? It's reciprocal in nature. I am to admonish you, but you are also to admonish me. And we are all to admonish one another. And therefore, let's draw some conclusions on both the giving and the receiving of admonition, on both speaking the truth and accepting the truth. Let's begin by how to give admonition. Now, my personal study of these verses on admonition, along with a few years of experience in loving confrontation, have led me to understand a number of do's and don'ts from the Bible when it comes to giving corrective or preventive admonition to a brother or a sister in Christ. Let me just give you some fair advice on this, okay? First of all, do so from Scripture. Don't do so from opinion. When we are speaking the truth in love to a brother or sister in Christ, when we are admonishing someone else, we are to do so from Scripture. Don't do so from opinion. Again, Colossians 3 and verse 16 tells us to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Did you catch that? It comes from the Word. 
Simply put, the basis for instructing or rebuking someone is with regard to the Bible. Either they are living in clear disobedience to one of God's timeless immutable principles, or perhaps they are following or even teaching a false doctrine. And in that case, we are to lovingly confront them. We are to admonish them. We are to speak the truth in love to them. And that comes, folks, from God's Word, not our personal opinion. Okay? So first, speaking the truth in love requires we do so from Scripture. We don't do so from opinion. Next, do so with facts. Don't do so with hearsay. When we're speaking the truth in love to somebody, when we are admonishing somebody, we do so with facts. We don't do so with hearsay. Boy, this is a big one. Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth, I am on my way to visit you for the third time. And as Scriptures say, any charges must be proved by at least two or three witnesses. In other words, Paul was determined to pay these Christ followers in Corinth another personal visit in order to investigate the facts. He wanted to know whether what he had heard about the sin that was in their midst was actually true. He wanted to sift through the evidence and he wanted to listen to the testimony of others firsthand before he made a final judgment on the matter. He was thorough. And we must be the same. We must not make assumptions. Somebody said the only exercise some people ever get is jumping to conclusions. (laughs) We're good at that. But don't do that. Investigate the facts. I always tell people, appeal. Don't attack. Huge difference. Appeal to the person. Don't attack the person. Because you probably don't have all the facts. In fact, I encourage you to use wording like this. When you come to somebody to admonish them, to speak the truth and love into their lives, simply say to them, please, would you help me understand? Would you help me to understand what it is you're saying, what it is you're doing here? Appeal to them. See, don't attack them. Listen. Listen well. Gather the facts. So second, speaking the truth in love requires we do so with facts. We don't do so with hearsay. Next, don't do, do so judging self. Don't do so judging others. <laughs> do so judging self. Don't do so judging, being nitpicky, fault-finding, critical with others. Let's read Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verses 3-5 through out loud together. Would you read these with me? Why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your friend, let me take that little piece of dust out of your eye? Look at yourself. You still have that big piece of wood in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the wood out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the dust out of your friend's eye. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say don't take the dust out of your friend's eye. 
In fact, He gives us permission to do so here. But He says, first, make sure you get the telephone pole out of your own eye. By the way, that's literally probably the best translation of this word here. It means a log. Get the telephone pole out of your own eye before you get the splinter out of someone else's eye. We've got to do that. We've got to judge self. Don't be so super critical of others. Don't, don't come charging to them with all the stuff that's wrong in their eyes unless you've looked in your own heart and done some self-examination first. So third, speaking the truth in love requires we do so judging self. We don't do so judging others. And then next, do so for change. Don't do so for shame. When we're speaking the truth in love to someone, when we are admonishing them, the purpose of all that is change, right? Yes. Transformation. We want to see their lives line up with God's Word and His will. We're not doing it to make them feel guilty or to condemn them for shame. In confronting the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 14, I am not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you, that's the word admonish, to admonish you as my beloved children. The purpose of admonishing someone who's living in habitual sin or holding fast to some false teaching is so that they will repent. They will change. That's the bottom line we desire. To come in line with God's Word and will. Galatians 6 and verse 1 puts it this way, If someone is trapped in sin, you should gently lead that person back to the right path. All of that kind of brings the question of motive. Why are you admonishing this person? I think we all have to ask ourselves that question. Am I doing it just because I want to shame them? Am I doing it just because I want to catch them? You know, I want to make them look bad. I want to condemn them in some way. Or am I really doing it because I love that person and my greatest desire is to see life change in them so that they will come into line with God's Word and what is best for their lives. So for speaking the truth in love requires we do so for change. We don't do so for shame. And then, we need to do so in private. Don't do so in public. Do so in private, confidentially, one-on-one. Don't do so in Public. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. There is a place for public rebuke. Matthew 18, I put it there in your notes, verses 15 through 17. Jesus spells out the process for confrontation or admonition. Number one, you admonish your fellow believer in private. Always begin there in private. And if he or she doesn't repent or change, then number two, you admonish your fellow believer with two or three witnesses. And if he or she still doesn't repent, then three, you admonish your fellow believer with the leaders of the church. And if he or she still doesn't repent, then number four, you discipline him or her by putting them out of the local church altogether. That's where the public rebuke comes at that stage. But having said that, however, take note that the whole process begins with this first step. 
That is to admonish your fellow believer in private. By the way, when it's done correctly, that's usually the only step that's needed. A good example of this was Priscilla and Aquila's confrontation of Apollos when unknowingly he wasn't teaching the whole truth regarding baptism. In Acts 18 and verse 26 it says, When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. See what they did? They didn't confront him publicly. They took him aside discreetly, privately, confidentially, and they opened up the Word of God and explained more adequately so that he could see the truth. And it was delivered in love, and because it was delivered in love, he responded to it and changed what he was teaching. So fifth, speaking the truth in love requires we do so in private, we don't do so in public. Then next, we do so directly. Don't do so indirectly. When we're speaking the truth in love, when we are admonishing somebody else, we do that face to face. We do it directly with them. We don't do it indirectly. We don't skirt around the issue and drop all kinds of hints and innuendos and stuff like that. No. Because we love that person, we go to him or her face to face, one on one. When Peter got sideways with Paul over cultural and religious issues between the Jews and the Gentiles, notice what Paul did. Galatians 2 and verse 11 says, When Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Peter admitted he was. But Paul did what was right. He went one-on-one, face-to-face, directly, not indirectly. We're so good at indirect approaches, folks. We would rather talk about somebody to everybody else rather than to them. I know, we don't like confrontation, do we? But you know what? A Christ follower learns how to confront, how to speak the Word, the truth, in love. Sometimes we'll try the shotgun approach. I've seen pastors do that. They have somebody in their church who's living in sin and rather than going to that person directly face to face, they'll preach a sermon on that sin, you know, and and hope that that person gets it. 99 out of 100 times it doesn't work. Then there's the anonymous letter. By the way, I'm going to let you know if I've never told you this, I don't read anything that's anonymous. If you ever send me an anonymous letter or a note, the first thing I do when I look at a note is I look for the signature. If there is no signature, I wad it up and I throw it in the trash because it's straight from the devil. I believe that with all my heart. I will not read an anonymous note. If you don't sign your name on your communication card, when I look at it, I wad it up and throw it away. I don't even read it. Just letting you know that. Because I believe that's what God's charged me to do. I'm not going to listen to somebody who won't come to me directly. And you can come to me directly, by the way. (laughs) I want you to. And I want to go to you directly as well when that's needed. Agreed? All right. So six, speaking the truth in love requires we do so directly. We don't do so indirectly. And then finally, we do so in love. 
Don't do so in duty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, we do it because we love the person. We don't do it because, oh, i got to do this. I guess somebody has to confront him. <laughs> somebody has to say something. Look again at Paul's heartfelt emotion. Acts 20 and verse 31. In fact, let's read these, this verse out loud together. Would you read it with me? Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Don't miss those words. With tears. He, he, he did that because he loved them. That's what he's saying. He was emotionally involved in admonishing them and making sure that their lives lined up with the Word. It was all about love, not duty. He didn't do it because, well, I'm an apostle and I'm supposed to do this. No, he did it because he loved them. So, how do we give admonition to others? How do we speak the truth in love? Here's some do's and some don'ts. Do so from Scripture. Don't do so from opinion. Do so with facts. Don't do so with hearsay. Do so judging self. Don't do so judging others. Do so for change. Don't do so for shame. Do so in private. Don't do so in public. Do so directly. Don't do so indirectly. And do so in love. Don't do so in duty. Now, I'm sure there are a lot more do's and don'ts than that. But we would be well on our way to giving biblical admonition if we would just put these into practice. Now, let me say a brief word about the flip side, and that is how to receive admonition. What if we are on the receiving end of biblical admonition? How should we accept confrontation and correction from a fellow believer in Christ? When somebody comes to us to speak the truth in love, how should we respond? Well, all we really need to do is look at a few Proverbs to get some clear instruction here. Proverbs 12, verse 1, If you love learning, you love the discipline that goes with it. How short-sighted to refuse correction. Proverbs 15, verses 31 and 32. Let's read these out loud together. If you profit from constructive criticism, you will be elected to the wise person's hall of fame. But to reject correction is to harm yourself and your own best interests. Isn't that true? Proverbs 27, verses 4 and 5. A truly good friend will openly correct you. You can trust a friend who corrects you in love. Oh, that we would all be that kind of friend to each other. Proverbs 29, verse 1. If you get more stubborn every time you're corrected, one day you will be crushed and never recover. Wow. Ouch. Don't want that to happen. Believe me, we could go on and on, but all these Proverbs instruct us to be open and receptive to admonition. When somebody confronts and corrects us, when someone speaks the truth in love to us, we are to receive it and we are to accept it openly and willingly. Thankfully, it's for our own good. Which is why God tells us that if we really love each other, we will admonish one another. 
All that brings us to a time of decision. How to really love one another. This morning we've taken a closer look at how to speak the truth in love. And the mutual ministry here is of caring enough to confront. The fact that truly loving relationships will actively be exchanging, giving and receiving admonition. So as we've done every Sunday in this series of lessons, I want to challenge you to join me in completing a little bit of homework. See your lesson notes there. Two things to do this week. First of all, there's a Bible study. Study the examples of successful admonition in the Bible. I gave you three of them. 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan's confrontation of David, Acts 18, Apollos' confrontation by Aquila and Priscilla, Galatians chapter 2, Peter's confrontation by Paul. And as you read those accounts, just ask yourself, what practical applications can you glean to help you to better give and receive admonition. And then the second part of the homework assignment is a little self-evaluation. We've done this every week, I think, during the series. Take some time to reread the 11 places in the New Testament where the Greek word for admonish is used and use the following questions as you prayerfully evaluate how well you are giving admonition, speaking the truth and love, with your fellow believers. Here's some good questions. When you admonish someone, do you make certain that it is in regard to his or her disobedience to a clear command of Scripture or to his or her following or teaching of an unbiblical error? When you admonish someone, do you do your very best to gather and understand the true facts first? When you admonish someone, do you prayerfully and thoroughly examine yourself before the Lord first? When you admonish someone, do you do so from a motive of desiring his or her repentance and change rather than just to shame him or her? When you admonish someone, are you very careful to do so confidentially and private and not publicly? When you admonish someone, do you make every effort to do so face-to-face and in a direct manner? And when you admonish someone, do you do so in tender-hearted love and compassion? Those are some good questions. Let's close today's lesson by reading Titus 1 and verse 3 out loud together. Would you read this? So firmly yet lovingly reprove and admonish other believers when they are wrong so they may become strong and healthy in their faith. That's our desire, right? That we would all grow in our faith. Speaking the truth in love. 